You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, here we are in week number four in our series entitled That You May Believe, uh, the seven signs that are found in the Gospel of John. These are seven signs pointing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The seven signs in the Gospel of John. Isn't it interesting that people often say, man, I believe, God, show me a sign. If God would just show me a sign, then I would would believe. If God would reveal something to me from heaven, then I would put my faith in him. If I could just see it in that way. Uh, So many skeptics call for proof. So many people, again, call from a a sign from above, writing on the wall, uh, uh, indication from heaven, light shining down, whatever it might be. If I could hear a special voice, if God would only show me a sign. But listen, here's what you have to understand. He has. He has shown you an abundance of signs. This is the point of John's gospel. John's gospel itself is like a legal brief. It is detailing the signs of God sent through his son, Jesus Christ, pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now remember, as we pick up on our series today, signs were given to authenticate God's people. God gave signs to prove that he was with them. No one has been more authenticated in history from God than Jesus of Nazareth. There has never been a more influential person in history than Jesus Christ, of course, the Lord. That is a fact of history. Millions and billions of people's lives have been changed over history by this one solitary life. Again, the facts are just awesome. All signs, pun intended, point to him as the single greatest person who ever lived. Because he was the very son of God. We're speaking of signs. Look at this verse, how it pops out at us now from Isaiah chapter 7. Take a look at this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And we're about to enter into Christmas season. Christmas is arguably the greatest sign ever given. It was the sign again of God himself sending his son to take on flesh. And as the verse prophesied 700 years before, the sign came in the actual flesh of Jesus Christ. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This is the power and the reality of Christmas. This is Jesus Christ and his glory. Again, the greatest sign ever given that we might believe and have life in his name. Of course, John's very gospel picks this up in John chapter one. And the word, Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father. This is the purpose of Christ being sent. This is the glory of Christmas. This is the opportunity in our series. Jesus, the sign from above, and when Jesus came, signs given through him that we might believe and know that he is eternal life. So this then takes us to sign number four in our series, the feeding of the 5,000. Again, Bible's open to John chapter 6, and As we have our Bibles open, let us be reminded that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. That's significant. That should get our attention. 
that should want us to listen a little more intently. Also, it is the most public miracle that Jesus did, literally to the eyewitness of thousands and thousands of men, women, and children, all in one place at one time, only this miracle. That should also get our attention. I was reminded this week as I was coming up and Monday morning looking up and just remembering what the next sign is in the course of seven and looking at the feeding of the 5,000 and very well aware that we preached this message from Matthew's gospel several months ago earlier this year. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Here we are in this passage again. But as I got into it, it was amazing to me, a fresh word from God's word and a different text, but the same miracle, but then fresh vision and fresh application and fresh excitement because that's what God does through his word. It never gets bored. It never runs dry. Amen, church? And here we are right now, and we get to learn today, and I pray God will speak to you specifically. Let's get some more context. John 6, verse 1. Take a look. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, notice, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, let's just start, stop right there actually for a second. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee by boat Large crowds were following him, the text says. Uh, Mark's gospel, as he tells us, the people ran on foot. They were so filled with excitement. They ran on foot on the north side of the lake. They actually beat Jesus to the point of his destination. Notice in our text the commotion. Notice the enthusiasm. The people were excited. Why were they? Verse 2 tells us, verse 2, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, right? So thousands of people, imagine the commotion, people are talking, imagine the buzz on the street, right? Here's this guy, this prophet, all these things that are happening here, we kind of get it. In verse 4, we read it was time of the Passover. Now, only John's gospel mentions the Passover in relation to the timing of the feeding of the 5,000. Why? It could be that John is helping us understand that thousands of pilgrims were traveling through Galilee to get to Jerusalem. It could be an explanation for, again, all the amount of people and the thousands that were there at this time on their way to the Passover, again, feast in Jerusalem. It is here then at this moment, Jesus goes, verse 3, to high ground. He goes up on the mountain. And then verse 5, it says, he lifts up his eyes to see the crowds coming. Now, verse 10 explains to us they were 5,000 in number. And it specifically says the men sat down, 5,000 in number. The other gospels also explain this truth as well. So you have 5,000 men, but what we know, including women and children, at least 15,000, okay? At least 15,000, many scholars estimate probably 20,000 people gathering in this way, rushing up to Jesus. Again, living the text, Jesus on the mountain, looking down, his disciples with him, and 15 to 20,000 people are approaching him after a long day of ministry, and daylight is waning. People are hungry. They're in a wilderness. They're in a desolate place. Again, the Bible tells us in several places. And listen, Fortino's is a long walk away. 
You know what I'm saying? Like it was, there was no grocery store in sight, all right? No one could get away. They could get food. So here we are. We have this scene being set, and Jesus knows precisely why. I mean, even in our passage, Jesus says, for he himself knew what he would do, because Jesus always know what he, knows what he's going to do. Jesus, loved ones, is awesome. Jesus is the best. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He knows precisely what he's doing, and he's setting up the scene right here of an unbelievably fantastic miracle that will literally be remembered forever as we are proof today, so many thousands of years later, and here we are, glorying in the same thing that was done then. He's setting up a sign to indicate, listen, to indicate that he is the only answer. Jesus is the only true answer to life. This takes us to point number one. It's this, the test, impossible. Some of you are like, huh? We'll explain. The test, impossible. Look at verse five again. Verse five, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, here's the test, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse six, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Okay, so here we have this scene being presented before us. From a human perspective, this situation demanded the impossible. It demanded the impossible, humanly speaking. And Philip quickly came to understand and quickly came to that conclusion. It's interesting to hear in verse six, in verse six, it says, and he said this to test him. Now remember, here we are, Jesus in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. On a mountain, the masses are coming towards him. And he asks a question to test his disciples. I I was just, I was thinking about that and meditating on that this week in preparation for the sermon. And I thought of one of my favorite texts in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. The parallels are amazing. Wilderness testing to point out this awesome principle. So Deuteronomy 8 here, take a look at this. This is a great text to look at later on too. The parallels of here and where we are in John 6 again just blows me away. Here's what it says. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. Why does God test us? God tests us to reveal to us what's in us. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would be obedient, keep his commandments or not. Look at this. And he humbled you and let you hunger. That's a great principle to understand too. God, God purposely lets us hunger at times. And fed you with manna. Why? And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. I love how that preaches out of the ESV. It just flows well, doesn't it? Love that. To make you know what? Here's the principle. Here's the whole principle. That he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
And here we are in John 6, in the wilderness, an impossible situation. The people are hungry. Jesus tests his disciples why. The ultimate reason is not so they are fed. The ultimate reason that they might know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus Christ, in this very text, he says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So interesting to me. I hope that encourages you. So here we have Philip. Philip had seen Jesus turn water into wine. Philip had seen an official son healed from certain death. Philip had seen a 38-year-old or a crippled man for 38 years of being crippled instantly healed. And how did each of these things happen? Each of them happened by the very words of the mouth of Jesus Christ. And now we have another impossible situation. Thousands and thousands need to be fed. Jesus tests his disciples. Philip, I'm not going to be too hard on Philip. You try to put yourself in this situation, you're just like overwhelmed at the masses. And Jesus asks you directly, hey, where can we buy bread to feed them? And you're like, uh, and you just look horizontal. Like your natural reaction is to look around and be like, how could we possibly do this? But Jesus ultimately asks him not for Philip to look horizontally, but he wants Philip to remember who's beside him and that he might look vertically. What a principle that is for our lives. Isn't it so true, church? Isn't it so true that Jesus will often test us with what is impossible? Jesus presents us with multiple tests in our lives which are impossible for us to accomplish. For example, it is impossible for us to save our children. Some parents try. They try with futility. No one can save another person. Only Jesus can save. It is impossible for us to change our spouse. Where will we turn then as we seek to have that prayer answered? It is impossible for us to avoid pain and suffering and heartache in life. It is impossible to avoid that. Where will we turn? Where will we turn? It is impossible for us to conquer our own sin. It is impossible for us to forgive our own sin. It is impossible for us to cleanse ourselves of our sin. We can't, we can't have a solution for our sin. Where will we turn? And this last one. It is impossible for any single person to avoid death. Many have tried. They have tried to their death. There's only one person who ever was delivered from death, and that is Jesus Christ the Lord. It is impossible for any human being to escape death. So therefore, where will we turn? See, Jesus gives us impossible situations to help us see that the solution is not in ourselves. The solution is in the Son of God who is sent by God through the signs of God that we might believe and have life in his name. The test is impossible. Number two, the provision is absurd. We'll explain. Look at verse eight now. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, Hey, there's a, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? That's right, Andrew. 
Look at Andrew jumps into the discussion here, and he gives a status of their total provision. Now, remember, remember, they're staring at 15,000 people minimum, okay? Jesus, wait, 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 wait. We got, we got five cheeseburgers here and two filet fish right? And that's, 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 that's what they're coming up with, right? And as we've previously learned, in fact, not cheeseburgers and a loaf of bread, but a loaf of bread that we have, it cuts up in 12, 15 pieces, and you could feed a family, technically, right? No, this loaf of bread was like a small dinner roll, enough to feed a boy for lunch, right? Then you have these fish. Okay, these aren't being honking salmon, okay? This is glorified sardines that are dried and pickled just for the flavor, to put flavor on top of the bread, this is the absurdity of the provision that the disciples are gathering to feed the masses of upwards of 20,000 people. Andrew, seeing the scanty provision, he concedes the absurdity. He says to Jesus, five loaves and two fish. But then he says this, but what are they for so many? Exactly. And loved ones, what's the principle here? This is the reality of our lives we are presented with the impossible task of feeding 15,000. We look at our pantry and we come up with five loaves and two fish that is enough to feed one small boy. And then we look out and we see only 14,999 more people to go. This is the reality of what we're being asked to do and what we can actually bring to the table. This is the reality of the absurdity of our provision or lack thereof. So maybe in light of this truth, maybe this is why there's a growing desperation among certain believers in our day right now. There's a growing desperation because many believers are trying to look down and recognize in light of all that's happening, the scantiness and the reality and the pathetic nature of the provision that we do not have and we cannot fix the problems around us. The tsunami of cultural darkness, the debased mind of the elite all around us, the increasing hopelessness of the youth, the confusion and corruption of our politics the increasing antichrist agenda that we see and recognize. I think as the church, the church in the past several decades has to admit and has to repent that in recent decades, we've tried to convince ourselves if we're cool enough, if we're relevant enough, if we're seeker friendly enough, and this so sad, if we compromise enough, we'll win the world around us. But that, of course, is a terrible plan. And the fruit has been seen for what it is, tremendously lacking. And so could it be that the Lord has appointed seasons of desperation and in some cases devastation that we might once and for all look down and recognize we don't have what it takes to fix anything. Our provision is so small. We must present whatever we have to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only one who could make the impossible possible. This is when we'll finally realize and look down in brokenness, in prayer, in desperation, and surrender, and we will admit we only have five loaves and two fish, but there's 15,000 people out there. Jesus, we can't do it. And that's why in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, bring them here to me. On our own, our provision is absurd, it's pathetic, and absolutely we have no chance. The tasks are too great, the burdens too many, the obstacles too high. But here's what the disciples had forgotten and were reminded of. 
Five loaves, two fish. Tell me. Anyone? One Jesus. The five loaves and the two fish, that's a problem. Five loaves, two fish, enter one Jesus, all of a sudden the entire equation just changed. You add the one Jesus, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what the disciples were about to learn. And this is what we are being reminded of again today to understand, man, the faith placed in Jesus Christ and anything then is possible because Jesus is absolutely awesome. This brings us to point number three, the answer, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. The answer, Jesus, look at verse 10 now. Jesus is like, okay, you had your chance, my turn. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. That is awesome. And when they'd eaten their fill, that is also awesome. He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five, five barley loaves, Left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, loved ones, let's understand what we just read here. This situation is absolutely impossible. Jesus enters the equation. Equation is the right word. Because consider the mathematics here. God has his own set of mathematics, doesn't he? This is the same Jesus who upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1. This is the same Jesus in John chapter 1. Not anything that was made was made other than through Jesus Christ. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who created out of nothing. And in a sense, you have five loaves and two fish. And the multiplication, the division starts to happen, the distribution. But the supernatural multiplication, Jesus is creating out of nothing. He is causing loaves and fish to appear. He is awesome. This is what he is doing. The glory of Jesus Christ right here in this text before us. Just amazing and astounding. The answer to life is everything's pointing to in this text. The answer to life is Jesus Christ. I happened to stumble upon this week the testimony of the creator of the chosen television series. The chosen television series detailing again the gospels pointing to Jesus Christ. His name is Dallas Jenkins. Actually known Dallas from past Chicago days. Great guy and a different path that he has taken and so excited how the Lord has used him. And his testimony though, I was so struck by this, specifically centered on this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Dallas had just produced a movie that he was hoping would have lots of success. It was backed by some big companies in the secular world and they were hoping for success too. It hit the box office, totally bombed, totally flopped. Like terrible to the point that he thought this failure would ruin him forever. He testifies the discouragement and the despair that he felt. Him and his wife were praying just immediately after, again, feeling the weight of the disappointment and the failure and what's going to happen from here and all that they thought was going to happen didn't. And it was here that God led them specifically to study and to look into the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and all the principles that were there inherently and the miracle of Jesus Christ. And what also was impressed upon his wife specifically is the Lord impressed upon her this saying, let me get this right, he said this, God said to her, I do impossible math. She had no idea what that meant. They were curious. 
It was like literally a few hours later, and Dallas testifies. He is awake that night. It's 4 a.m. He's writing a memo to himself about what went wrong, what the other companies did wrong, how they could have done better, and all that's kind of taking stock of this tremendous disappointment. And then a Facebook message comes in from an acquaintance he knows in Romania. God bless Romania. Okay? From Romania at 4 a.m., different time zone, a guy he talks to like once a year. And this guy, with all their concentration on the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, this is the message that came in for Dallas at 4 a.m. that morning in the midst of his despair was this. Dallas, your job is not to feed the 5,000. You only have to provide the loaves and the fish. He described, he literally in his testimony says, there's my life before this moment and there's my life after this moment. Everything that he was led to hear in the middle of this truth, of this word, and this message. And he goes on to say, from that moment on, nothing would be the same again. Surrender, giving up again. He was trying to feed the 5,000 and he failed miserably. All he had was five loaves and two fish and that's all that Jesus Christ wanted. And what happened from there? He was led to make and produce this small, low-budget Christmas Eve type film for the church that he was attending. And he put his heart and soul into that just like under 20 minutes long. And this was done and God used it, but someone saw this, picked it up, and someone said this was the idea of the seeds for the series of The Chosen. You haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's tremendous. And Luke working on season three now. This was the idea and the seed for season number one. And he says it was a short little Christmas Eve for his church video that ended up being the source to fundraise $10 million for the, season, the first season of The Chosen. And The Chosen now has now become the largest crowd-funded television series in the history of the world, in the history, in, in just in, in history. I mean, what an awesome example of here is Dallas trying to feed the 5,000 on his own. He gives up, he surrenders. I love what he said here too. He says, if I never make another film, totally good with that. I sacrifice, I give my life to Jesus Christ. It's just glorious. He presents his five loaves and two fish. And look what God has done. This miracle changed his life and God used it to change his entire direction from failure to seeing the miraculous provision and leading of God when it's all about Christ and not himself. You're reading the same text I am today. This sign is given to say Jesus is the answer. I wonder who here today or who isn't here today to hear these words. I mean, it's just for everyone. Hey, Stop trying to feed the 5,000. Let alone stop trying to feed the 20,000. Stop trying to feed the 5,000 on your own. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't change one life, let alone anyone else's. Only Jesus can do that. Hey, listen, stop trying to force your will upon other people. Stop trying to force your will. You can't do it. It's impossible. Stop trying to manufacture spiritual power. Stop trying to manufacture spiritual power. Only Jesus can do that. Stop trying. Stop trying to guarantee your future. You can't do it. Stop trying to make your ambitions and your dreams as the centerpiece of all that you desire to do. Where's Jesus in that equation? What are your five loaves and two fishes today? And what is Jesus asking you to do? in that regard. I can only imagine the amount of situations that are here right now. I can only imagine the amount of application, 
as we look at our lives and how often we've tried to force our will into certain situations. And right now, Jesus is like, listen, listen, I, I don't want your effort at, at this point. I want your faith. I want your surrender. I want your sacrifice. I want your brokenness. And let's see what I can do with what you bring to the table. And let's see how I can start to multiply as you surrender to me by faith and receive my grace. To end this message today, I want you to see this about Jesus. We'll put a few applications here up on the screen. I want you to see this right now. I want you to know this in this miracle. We're learning here, Jesus is the source of all power. Jesus is the source of all power. The text says in verse 11, notice this, it says that Jesus took the loaves. Okay, see, the moment the loaves are given from the disciples to Jesus, everything changes. As long as the loaves are in the hands of the disciples, at least, you know, to start, they put in the hands of Jesus, and then the distribution happens through the disciples, but they must go into the hands of Jesus because Jesus is the source of all power. What are your five loaves and two fish today? Hand them over to Jesus. Again, stop trying to fix everything. Surrender your loaves and fish. He is power. He is power. Remember too, church, seeds of revival often come with a repentance of self-reliance. When the individual, the family, the church, the leaders begin to repent of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-effort, self-righteousness, when they repent of that, it ushers in the grace and the power of God. This is what he wants. Notice, too, that there were five barley loaves. Why is that detail the only gospel that does that? Why is that detail in there, barley loaves? Because barley loaves were the food of the poor. In some cases, barley loaves were called food of the beasts. Why is that here then? This is why. Because Jesus wants us to understand that you could have the tiniest, most insignificant, smallest fraction of whatever it is. And Jesus says, I want that too. You give me whatever you have. Some of you are like, man, I got, I got already anything. Some of you are saying, I have nothing. Jesus says, I want your nothing. Bring your nothing and let me see what I can create out of nothing. This is Jesus Christ. He is the source of all power. And because he's the source of all power, secondly, he's the source of all provision. Again, the backdrop to this miracle is Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness being fed with manna. Now you have Jesus providing food for the masses in the wilderness as a sign that he is the Messiah sent from God for the salvation of the world. I love in verse 11 too, it says, when he had given thanks. Now there's 15,000 people, 20,000 people out there. He's got five cheeseburgers and two filet fish and Jesus gives thanks. Gives thanks for what? Gives thanks, giving thanks for what he know is about to be done. By faith and his power and his provision, he gives thanks. And as he gives thanks, he can see every single mouth being fed and every single stomach being full to the point they are fully satisfied. That's the reality of our Savior Jesus Christ, his power and his provision. No wonder then in John 6, verse 35 Jesus says, I am the bread of life. See, that's what all this is pointing to. It's not about physical hunger, ultimately. It's about spiritual hunger and spiritual feeding that only comes from Jesus Christ the Lord. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me, listen, whoever believes in me 
shall never ever thirst. He's the source of all power, of all provision, and therefore Jesus is the source of all purpose. He's the source of all purpose. All of this is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He's the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us from our sins. Jesus Christ is the one who gives life. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead that we too might defeat death and never die again. Jesus Christ is purpose. I remember my life before Christ. Man, I thought I knew. And man, did I end up in rock bottom. Man, everything I tried to live for, one by one, ended up being nothing. And the hollowness and the emptiness and the despair and the sadness and the incompleteness. And God used that moment to break me and God used that time in my life to just destroy me inside out and prepare me then to see that Jesus was the answer for my life, my soul, my future, and my eternity in heaven. And I still remember the feelings and of course to this day, the understanding for the first time, the purpose that you hold as you understand and you are saved in Jesus Christ. The purpose, the meaning, the direction, the fulfillment, the life, it has not been easier with Christ. It has been so much harder driving to church today in the morning. It's harder to follow Christ. But you wouldn't trade it for anything because Jesus Christ gives purpose for life to the point if I die, then that means I gain entrance to life with him forever. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? You have none because Jesus Christ has defeated it on my behalf. Therefore, all the purpose I could ever want is found in Jesus Christ the Lord. And this is what he is pointing to in this miracle to say he is life and he is mercy and he is love and he is salvation. It's interesting, the people here in the wilderness, they're in the wilderness They're all hungry, they can't feed themselves. Here are we, in our own wilderness. We are hungry, and this world, we cannot feed ourselves. We need someone beyond ourselves. His name is Jesus Christ. John 20, verse 31. The whole point of John's gospel, these things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, anointed one sent from God, And that by believing, you may have life, life in his name. Please, Lord, would you grant life today? Let's pray. Lord, would you grant life today? Would you open people's eyes? Maybe they are hearing a message like this for the first time in their lives. I pray you are granting life, salvation, hope, and faith. I pray, Lord, so many are seeing their five loaves and two fish, Lord, and they just say, Lord, I repent. I've been trying to multiply these on my own. I've been trying so hard. I have not succeeded. It's been a total failure. Today, Lord, I repent. Today, I turn. Today, I trust. Today, I sacrifice. Today, I give up. Today, Lord, I hand you what I have, even if it's nothing. I hand you my nothingness, and I trust you. This is the answer. This is the joy. This is the purpose of our lives Please, Lord, we need to hear this again and again and again. And so I pray you'll be encouraging your church mightily. Even as we sing, this song's a prayer. It's a declaration. I can't do it. It has to be Jesus. It's Jesus in me. Encourage your church, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.